You know, one gift that God has never really blessed me with is the gift of art. I'm not good at it. I never have been, but I appreciate it. I appreciate seeing something that is so uh, detailed with such great design behind it. And one form of artwork that I've come across recently that has always captured my attention is this very abstract sort of art. Check out this picture on the screen as you see one of these sculptures. It, it almost seems just totally chaotic, like a, an absolute disorder. There's so much confusion. You don't even know what the pieces are. It actually looks like a, a giant pile of garbage. And to be honest, it actually is. The, the artists that have created this have taken garbage and repurposed it to make something beautiful. But when you're looking at it just like this, it doesn't look all that beautiful. It looks confusing. It leaves you wondering what it is. What's it supposed to be? Is there really design behind it at all? But the unique thing about this kind of artwork is that you need to bring light to it. See, when the sculpture was formed by the artist, they designed it in such a way that when light shines on it at just the perfect angle, it will cast a shadow on the wall behind that reveals something magnificent. Something that you can't even begin to picture by looking at the sculpture itself, but yet when the light shines on it just right, as the artist designed it to be, it changes the whole thing, revealing a beautiful picture behind. Perspective is so important for us. We all have different perspectives about different things. But the important thing to remember is that our perspectives as humans naturally are flawed. I'm wearing glasses right now. That's because a doctor has told me that my vision is flawed. I see things blurry and, and double, and, and that's no good. And so they've given me these lenses so that I can see things clearly again. And when it comes to our uh, vision or perspective of the world, we need some corrective lenses. See, the last couple months in our world have been crazy. We've had a lot of good things in the last couple weeks, beautiful weather, an opportunity to get outside, a, a wonderful praise in the parking lot service. But over the last three months, we have seen this world go through so much. So much chaos, so much disorder. And the events that have taken place are almost similar to looking at that sculpture with the naked eye before putting that light on it leaving us with questions, wondering, where's God in all of this? The chaos, the confusion, the, the disrest, the divisions that continue to arise, and we wonder, how is this all working out? Where is God? Our perspective's important. See, as believers, we need to bring a godly perspective to the circumstances of our lives. And Jesus is going to be working in this passage that we're in this morning to address this perspective and to help people bring a godly perspective, a biblical perspective, to the event that's taking place. We've been in a series called Hit Reset, where we've been looking at different miracles through the book of John. In each of these miracles, we've learned something about uh, what Jesus was doing, who Jesus is, and we've learned some really fascinating things but the whole focus of this series has been to see our dead ends as divine opportunities. When we would hit a circumstance that we can't see how it's going to play out, we can't understand what God is doing, that instead of seeing it just as the end all, what is God doing in the midst of it? 
Today we're going to be diving into John chapter 11, and I want to invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Follow along. We're going to watch a video in a second that takes us through this passage. And as we watch this video, I want to encourage you to, to pay close attention to the conversations that Jesus has. How is he addressing people's perspectives? What is it about their perspectives that he addresses? And what godly perspective does he bring to it? Let's check it out right now. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, became sick. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. The sisters sent Jesus the message. Lord, your dear friend is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the final result of this sickness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God, and it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he received the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Teacher, just a short time ago, the people there wanted to stone you. And are you planning to go back? A day has 12 hours, doesn't it? So those who walk in broad daylight do not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I will go and wake him up. If he is asleep, Lord, he will get well. Jesus meant that Lazarus had died, but they thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I am glad that I was not with him, so that you will believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go along with the teacher, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
do you believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world? After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. you buried him. Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, he gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. There will be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice. Lazarus! Come out!
he came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes and with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. But some of them returned to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the Pharisees and the chief priests met with the council and said, what shall we do? Look at all the miracles this man is performing. If we let him go on in this way, everyone will believe in him. And the Roman authorities will take action and destroy our temple and our nation. One of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said, What fools you are! Don't you realize that it is better for you to have let one man die for the people instead of having the whole nation destroyed? Actually, he did not say this of his own accord. Rather, as he was high priest that year, he was prophesying that Jesus was going to die for the Jewish people, and not only for them, but also to bring together into one body all the scattered people of God. Can you imagine even seeing that event take place? Lazarus, a man who's been dead in the tomb for four days, and Jesus yells to him, Lazarus, come out! And here he comes, a once dead man, walking out of a tomb, still in his grave clothes, alive. I can't even begin to wrap my head around the, the excitement and just the, the awe and wonder that I would be feeling at watching this take place. But you know, as exciting as the miracle itself is, there's so much that's going on around it. Jesus is having conversations all the way building up to this moment where he would call Lazarus out of the grave. And in each of these conversations, he is challenging the perspective of the people he's talking to. See, I think there's four different people that Jesus challenges here. First, at the beginning of chapter 11, we have some messengers that come from uh, Mary and Martha to bring the news that Lazarus is ill. And right away, Jesus brings a, a new perspective into this that uh, it's not about the end here. And then we've got Jesus making some plans with his disciples, and, and they're kind of freaking out about what's going to happen uh, into this chapter a little bit. And, and Jesus addresses their perspective on the circumstances around them. And then finally, Jesus makes it to Bethany, which is where Lazarus had died and where Mary and Martha are. And, and he has a conversation with Martha about resurrection and life. And, and he addresses her perspective even on that. And finally, Jesus is there with Mary and other Jews who are mourning the loss of Lazarus. And he addresses their perspective on their mourning and their sadness. And he, all throughout, is bringing a God-sized perspective to the whole circumstance to change the way that we view what is happening. But before we can just adopt this God-sized perspective, 
And Jesus knew this because he did this with each of these people. He challenges our misconceptions. He challenges our misconceptions. You'll notice it with some of these different people uh, throughout this chapter. You'll notice that, uh, first off, Jesus is challenging our misconception when it comes to our panic. Now, his disciples, Jesus made plans to go back to Judea, and right away his disciples were like, whoa, we were just there, and the people were wanting to stone you. Now, now we're going to go back? Like, why would we do this? Like, they're concerned. They're concerned for the safety of their teacher. And, and Jesus addresses this by saying, listen, the mission of what I have come for cannot stop right now because of a threat. First of all, Jesus knew how this was going to all play out, and so he's trying to help his disciples zoom out a little bit, see the bigger picture of what he's doing. But then Mary and Martha were panicking as well. Both of them, at separate times, said, Lord, if only you were here, my brother wouldn't be dead. Now, let's stop for a second. We've got to remember that when they sent messengers to Jesus, these messengers took the news that Lazarus was ill. And it took me a couple times reading through this passage before I realized that Jesus' response in verse 4, when he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Him saying that was a message that he was sending back to Mary and to Martha. So here they are. They receive this message, and meanwhile, Lazarus is ill, and, and they get this message that it's not going to lead to death. Well, then Lazarus dies. And I'm sure they're sitting there left with questions. When's Jesus coming? Why, why isn't he here? Do, doesn't he know how sick Lazarus really is? And as he passes away, they, they stop and think, man, if only, if only Jesus would have been here. If only Jesus would have been here. And you know, Sometimes we ask those same questions, don't we? We face different trials in our lives and, and the, the difficulties that come with it, the suffering that we face. And, and sometimes we ask that question, where was God in the middle of my trouble? Where was God in the middle of my trial? Where is God now in the middle of my suffering? And in many ways, Jesus' response to Mary and to Martha is, hold on, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Don't give up yet. His response is the same for us. In our struggles, in our uh, suffering, God's not oblivious to it. He's aware of it. He knows what's going on. And sometimes he's asking us to simply trust him and follow him. That doesn't mean it's going to just go away. It's kind of like a sailboat, right? The wind can be a very dangerous thing when you're out in the ocean or the water. We took a retreat with our small group years ago, and we had a little fishing boat with a trolling motor on it. And it was the last day of the retreat, and I was given the job to take the boat back over to the launch site so we could get it back in the trailer and get ready to leave. Well, this was the windiest day that we were there, and there was no way for me to get to the launch site without at some point having to go straight into the wind. And so finally, I get myself to the point where I'm, I'm heading dead into the wind, and I got this little trolling motor, and, and I feel like I am just not making any progress. And I look over at the shore next to me, and I'm sitting dead still, not moving at all. Same exact place. It took everything within this motor to keep me in the same spot. And I started getting a little nervous. What happens if I can't control this boat and I run into a, the dock or, you know, ruin this person's boat that they lent to us? I was, I was nervous. Thankfully, it didn't sink or, or damage anything. 
But when it comes to sailing, when you actually have sails, the wind can be a very good thing. You reposition the sails to catch the wind and, and to drive you. See, sometimes in our suffering, we need to reposition our sails. We could try to fight that wind all day, and it's exhausting, and it, it makes us feel defeated, but sometimes, sometimes we just need to reposition and trust God. And see, that doesn't take the circumstance away, but it does change how we work through that circumstance. It can take the panic away as we learn to trust in a sovereign God. See, our panic ultimately is just a, a, a symptom of a deeper issue. That deeper issue is the misconception we have when it comes to our perceptions of things. Right? Just how we simply view stuff. If you look in our text, Jesus has an interaction with Mary. In verse 17, he comes to, to the tomb, and then finally he finds Mary down here. And Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 21. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus tells Mary... Your brother will rise again. And so she responds to him, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And see, was she wrong in saying that? No. She was absolutely right. But Jesus was going to expand that, and when he responds and says, But I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, Martha had the right idea. Her perception was true, but it was limited. And as humans, it's important for us to remember that our perceptions on things are very limited. We don't always see the full picture. We don't always understand what God is doing. You know, on a deeper level, we don't even fully understand the depths of who God is. See, we follow an infinite God. Infinite in power, infinite in glory, infinite in love. What an amazing God that we serve. But we are finite beings. Which means that always our perceptions can grow. Always we have room to deepen our understanding of who God is. And so before we come to a circumstance, and with our perspective, thinking that we have it all figured out, before we come to a circumstance, thinking that we understand fully what has taken place and what is going to happen, we need to stop and understand that God is far greater than we can even begin to imagine his purposes are greater than we can fathom. His power is greater than we can fathom. His plans are deeper and more thorough than we could possibly come up with ourselves. We serve an infinite God. So we need to remember that our perceptions are limited when it comes to our perspective. Lastly, Jesus challenges our pain. If you look in verse 33 to 38 with me, Jesus is now with Mary by the tomb, and, and he sees her weeping. He saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And it says, John says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then jump down to verse 35, the shortest verse in Scripture that says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. See, John tells us that Jesus felt a myriad of different emotions here. 
He was deeply moved. He was troubled in his soul. And we have to stop and ask the question, what was Jesus so upset about, and what does it mean that he was so upset? Because at face value reading this, the, the first thought that I have is, well, man, Jesus is super upset about Lazarus dying, being deeply troubled, like actually being angry, angry to the point of tears, apparently, according to verse 35, just so moved, so upset in his being that he would even come to a point of tears. Why? I don't think that it was because Lazarus had just died and he was sad that his friend was gone. Did it hurt to lose someone? Maybe. But, but see, remember all the way back in the beginning of this chapter where Jesus said this illness doesn't lead to death? And just a little bit before, he's talking to Martha and he tells her that uh, Lazarus will rise again. Well, I don't... It doesn't seem to make sense that Jesus would be so brokenhearted that Lazarus is gone if he knows that he's going to be coming right back. So, why else might Jesus be so upset? Well, maybe he's upset because all these people are just mourning around and not really understanding what Jesus is going to do. That could be. That could be, but we've seen throughout the book of John so far, almost every single week, that people didn't understand everything that Jesus was doing. So was this the straw that broke the camel's back, that suddenly Jesus had had it, and, and now he's just so upset that people aren't seeing things, and so he, he weeps? I don't know. What seems to make the most sense, and many scholars agree, is that Jesus had compassion and sympathy for those who were mourning the loss of Lazarus. And he was so deeply moved, not just because they were upset, but he was so deeply moved because he saw them suffering as a consequence of sin. And I'm reminded of Romans 6.23 that says that for the wages of sin is death. See, when sin entered this world, it brought with it all kinds of trouble all kinds of suffering. And Jesus came to conquer sin at the cross. And so it seems to make sense that Jesus is so upset because of the consequences of sin being played out and their effect on his people, the people that he loves. The disbelief, the pain that it causes them. He was deeply troubled. So once we address these things, we realize that, you know what, in our suffering, though our suffering may not pass quickly, Jesus is there with us. He sees our suffering. He knows our suffering. Hebrews tells us that he's a great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. What a Savior that we have. What a God that we serve. That he understands He's there. But once this perspective kind of challenges our misconceptions, we need to bring God into the picture because you cannot have a God-sized perspective without God in it. And so as we move forward, we need to consider the Most High. Consider the Most High. And we start here in verse 4 by considering His purposes. 
And when we consider the purposes of God, we have to stop and ask the question, how is God using these circumstances for His glory and for His purposes? How is God using these circumstances? See, verse 4 tells us that in the midst of this difficult time for Mary and for Martha and those who loved Lazarus, God was using this as an opportunity to display His glory and to glorify the Son of God. Oftentimes in our own sufferings, God is at work in in ways behind the scenes that we don't fully understand. And if we don't pause and to take a step back and ask that question, how is God using my circumstances, my sufferings, my trials for His glory then we can continue to keep our perspective focused on us. It's a lot easier to endure the suffering when you see what God is doing at work, when you're trusting Him in the midst of it. He gives you strength to persevere, strength to push on, to keep going. See, like the blind man last week when Cisco was teaching, that they asked the question, who caused this man blindness. Was it his sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus' response was, it was neither, right? It was so that the power of God would be displayed in him. Christian, we may suffer in our life. We may have great success in our lives. And it doesn't matter which way it is or which season you're in now. We need to continue to ask that question, how can God be using these circumstances for his glory? And then we also need to consider his power. Now, can you get this, the amazement, verse uh, 43, when Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to unbind him and let him go. The power of God displayed, literally raising a dead man to life. I mean, how often do you see that happen? Amazing. Glory to God, that God did such an amazing act. And in this miracle, he displays for the public to see that he has power over death itself. That when Jesus said to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life, he meant it. It reminds me of Mark chapter 2 when the lame man was brought to Jesus and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders got all upset about this because it's blasphemy for man to say that sins are forgiven because Only God could say that. And so Jesus responds and says, well, what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to take up your mat and walk? But to prove that I am the Son of Man, I have authority in heaven to forgive sins, take up your mat and go home. And the lame man gets up and walks away. Where Jesus uses a physical miracle to display a spiritual power and authority that he has. I believe here that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, displaying that he truly does have power over life and death to literally raise a physically dead person to physical life again. And if Jesus has the power to do that, then we had better believe that he has the power to raise our souls to new life, spiritually speaking, to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. See, when Lazarus was raised... Some of the Jews went to the religious leaders and and ultimately the religious leaders wanted to even kill Lazarus because it was on his testimony that many people were believing in Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you look in the text, 
down in verse 48, they're saying, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. See, you can't deny the power of God at work when you see death become life. You couldn't deny that Jesus brought Lazarus from death to life. And Christians, for us today, there should be no denying that God has raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We should be radically different, changed from the inside out, our very being. We should live lives like we are alive with God, not like we're dead. Jesus is proving who he is and the extent of his power. And it's going far. And listen, it's just a foretaste. This miracle is just a foretaste of what's to come. See, the religious leaders after this decided it was right to start planning to put Jesus to death. And this was like the key and the ignition to ultimately the cross, where Jesus would lay down his life, his perfect life, a life without sin, a life without failure. He would lay it down on the cross. He would die, that in him giving up his life and raising it up on the third day, he would give life to many who would believe, many who would turn and follow him. He would remove the guilt of sin and give us his righteousness, that we would have a restored relationship with the Father and with him. Praise be to God. This miracle is a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do at the cross. A foretaste of the life that would be given to those who would believe in his name. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, if all this is true, as we confront our misconceptions, as we consider God and all of this, having a God-sized perspective, it, it calls for us to move. It doesn't leave us just where we're at. It asks something of us. It demands that we do something, that we respond. And the first way that we need to respond is simply by pondering Jesus' claims. Verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so as we ponder, as we ponder Jesus' claims, this isn't just a pondering that's for an unbeliever. There is something to be pondered here for the believer. Notice Mary, Martha, the disciples, they all had to ponder Jesus' claims throughout this passage. And the disciples and Mary and Martha believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. They still had to ponder and learn. I had a professor when I was at Taylor. His name was Dr. Harbin. And I was so blown away. He's a genius. And I remember him saying that the more he learns about his faith, the more he realizes he doesn't know. And that's so true, as I talked about earlier. Our perspective and our limited understanding, guys, we have so much to learn. We will never have arrived spiritually. We will never fully grasp the, the depths of the love of God. We will never grasp the depths of his power, of his sovereignty, of of who he is. And so we always have a life of learning, a life of growth, a life of deepening our understandings. So believer, ponder the claims of Christ. Take them seriously. Meditate on them and how they impact your life. Is Jesus calling you to change your perspective on something? Will that perspective change the way that you are to live? Change the way you're to think? What is it? Ponder it. And if you're an unbeliever, 
and you're watching this today, first, I don't believe it's an accident that you are. I believe that God has brought you to this video for a reason, to be part of this service for a reason. And I have to ask you the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? See, if all this is true, if Jesus is who he said he is, if he really did raise a man, Lazarus, from the dead uh, back to life, it demands a response. And I'll be honest with you, there's really only two responses. We see it in our text. Some Jews believed and followed him, and others went and told the Pharisees and opposed him. You can believe and follow Jesus, or you can reject him altogether. See, you can't do nothing with Jesus, because doing nothing with Jesus is really rejecting him. The Bible doesn't really make it an option to be down the middle. Say, well, I'm kind of following Jesus, I'm kind of not. It's, it's kind of an all-or-nothing deal. You're saved or you're unsaved. You're a follower of Christ or you're not. Jesus says that we can't serve two masters. We can only serve one master. So maybe that master in your life right now is, is your own entertainment, your own pleasures. Maybe it's success or money or, you know, relationships. I don't know what it is. What is it that's the most important thing to you? It's your master. But Jesus says you can't serve two So if you believe and follow Jesus, we leave the old behind and we follow the new. That Jesus would be the master of our lives. That we would follow in his footsteps. We would do what he's called us to do. We would think the way he calls us to think. That we would let him transform our lives for the better. You can't do nothing with Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Secondly, we need to point others to Jesus. We need to point others to Jesus. Did you catch how many times in this passage things were pointed back to Christ? Verse 4, Jesus says that it's about the Son of God being glorified. Uh, Down in verse 15, Jesus says, for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. You move on. He talks about him being the resurrection and the life when it's uh, a conversation with Martha. And then down in verse 42, Jesus says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. See, this is all about pointing people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. In our day and age right now, where our world is so broken, so crumbled, we need to bring Jesus into the conversation. If we fail to bring Jesus into the conversation, we might as well not have the conversation at all. See, we need redemption before we can have resolution or restoration. We need the blood of Christ. We need Jesus to be in the conversation that we are having with the world right now. Pointing people to him. Showing people that the world needs to be redeemed. The people need a savior, Jesus. And we need to point them to him. See, he is the only way. He's not just a way to salvation. Jesus is it. And if that is really true, then Christians, we need to bring this up. We need to have this conversation. And Jesus needs to be the central part of it. He needs to be the central part of it. See, we're not going to solve racial injustice without Jesus. We're not going to solve human trafficking without Jesus, abuse without Jesus. The list could go on and on. The the murdering of of innocent babies in their mother's wombs. We we can't solve these injustices, these uh, great evils, without Jesus. Jesus is the solution. 
And if we're going to leave him out of the conversation, we're going to spin wheels. We need to invite him in. We need to point people to Jesus. Lastly, brothers and sisters, man, we have got to pray. We have got to pray. Jesus hears our prayers. He, he prays to his Father in this passage, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12 through 12, make a great prayer for us as the church right now, and it reads this, Finally, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. We need to go before our Lord in prayer. We need to plead with Him. We need to intercede for our friends and our family members who don't know Him yet. We need to to come before Him and pray for peace for our nation. We need Jesus as part of the solution. We need to pray. And we need to pray fervently. Will you lift people up? Pray for them by name. Pray that God would do a work in their lives. And before you do all that, pray that God would do a work in your life. Pray that God would be changing your heart, that he'd be continuing to work in in your very soul to stir you up to follow him, that he would kindle a fire in your heart that would rage to know him more a boldness to follow him wherever he'll call you to go, to do whatever he'll call you to do. Let it start with you. Pray that God would do a work in your heart. Listen, Jesus displays magnificently who he is as he calls Lazarus forth from the grave. And surrounding this is a change of perspective. Surrounding God calling us from death to life is a whole change of thinking, a change of viewing the world, a change of perspective that he's calling us to continue to be growing in and deepening in our lives. Some practical perspective shifts. One, God uses suffering to bring about his glory. Will we suffer well as believers? Will we trust him? Will we follow him? Will we obey him? Two, our understanding of an infinite God is finite. Will we continue to deepen our understanding? Will we continue to pursue knowing God on a deeper level, following him more closely? And three, our Savior's heart breaks deeply over sin, and so should ours. Will we invite Jesus into a broken world? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is introducing a God-sized perspective that we can view the events that take place, the circumstances of our lives, lives through Him, learning as we go. Will you let it 
challenge your misconceptions? Will you consider God's purposes and His power? Will, will you be moved to action? I'm going to close with this prayer from Ephesians. Paul says this. Would you pray with me? He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen.